Now, friends, let's celebrate Emmanuel as we open the word of God that reveals him to us. And so I encourage you to turn to that passage that Dennis has read for us in Romans chapter 8. If you turn there, please. And if you're using the Bible, it's provided for you. It's page 944 if you turn there. Romans 8. And we'll be looking at verse 31 down through verse 39. And let me say thank you on this special day for me and Susan uh, incredible privilege uh, to serve here. Hard to believe 29 years uh, ago today that we uh, started ministry here. I wonder, was anybody here that was here that day? Raise your hand. Okay. No. Okay. Just a couple have perse- persevered, all right, through great affliction. So thank you all. And uh, 29 years, and I'm, uh, it's amazing. It's gone so quickly. I do want to say I'm very grateful for a church that would extend a call to a 15-year-old pastor. That's always amazed me that people <laughs> would do that. In all seriousness, I, I do want to say a, a special thanks to my wife, Susan. Um, I've been afforded great uh, encouragement and praise so Uh, not deserved over these years, but I cannot say how grateful I am for her. Uh, She is the the ideal of a pastor's wife in my book. She serves the Lord constantly in so many ways that people do not know. I'm honored to be partner with her. You know, it's, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. You know, it is an incredible privilege when you are married to the greatest Christian you know. And that is, that's the truth. I mean that. She is the the finest Christian I know. And it's been the great privilege of my life uh, to serve here. No no pastor could have had uh, more encouragement and more support than I. And I am deeply, deeply grateful. Romans 8, let's look to God's word and ask God to open this to our hearts and make it fresh and new. God's word is like himself, fresh, new, every single day, right? Alive. Many years ago, it's over 30 years ago now, I remember something happened when I was a youth pastor uh, up in Ohio, and yes, I was youth pastor back in the days of Model T Fords and things like that. Um, served in a church, uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Finley, Ohio, and that was a very beautiful small city of about 35,000. And uh, lots of farms, beautiful farms up in that area. So our church had a number of people who were in farming. And so as a result, the youth group that I served had a lot of uh, city kids and, and had a lot of county kids as well. Well, one of my responsibilities on a regular basis was uh, to provide transportation for some of those county kids. They lived way, way out there, some of them on uh, gravel roads out as they, their families were involved in farming. I remember one uh, night, as I recall, it was in September, I had taken a couple of students home out to their, their farms, and I was coming back. I was driving down one of those 
country roads and the corn was way up here. And you know, the farmers up there, they'd take their corn right to the ditch, you know? And uh, as I was driving, suddenly my headlights started getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I've never been much of a mechanic, but I could figure this out. This is the alternator going out. And I'm thinking, oh, I hope I can make it. I hope I can make it. And then the car just stopped. Lost all power. And I was on one of these gravel roads with corn this high. It was a dark night, no moon. And so I decided, well, you know, I'll just wait. I'll sit here and wait. I, I can't see, so I'll just wait. Somebody will be by. But I forgot <laughs> Uh, those farmers are not coming out. They're, they're getting up early in the morning and there weren't any of them coming out. So I decided, well, I've got to get to a, a main road. I, I, you know, this, uh, I told you, is uh, antique times, no cell phones or anything like that. So I started walking in the pitch dark. I could see nothing. And I just would shuffle on the gravel to make sure I would stay on the road. And I'm, I'm shuffling along, walking in the dark, and finally, after a long period of time, I see a little light shining way over there in the distance. And I know that's a farmhouse. So I started shuffling, trying to, again, to stay on the road, get toward that farmhouse. And as I got to that farmhouse, I, I started praying a couple of specific prayers. I was praying that the farmer would not shoot at me. And I was praying that all of his dogs would be converted, become Christians that, that very night. I don't know how many guardian angels were assigned, but I didn't get shot at. I didn't have the dogs get me, and there was a very nice uh, man who helped me out, and I was able to make a phone call and have someone uh, come and get me. But I'll never forget uh, walking in pitch dark, not able to see anything, just shuffling along, trying to stay on the road. A lot of times... Life's like that. We're just shuffling along in the dark. It's, it's dark around us. Sometimes we're waiting, and sometimes we're walking, just shuffling in the dark. But here is the good news. There is light. There is light, right? There's light in the Lord Jesus, and that's what we're celebrating here at Advent. We are celebrating that while we are waiting, while we are following the Lord, we, are, we have light that is shining. These candles at Advent remind us of we can reclaim Christmas by reminding ourselves of the light that we have, the light of hope that we celebrated last week. And this morning, we want to celebrate the light of love, the light that always shines, the light of Christ's love. This morning, I want us to look at this passage and be encouraged in this Advent season while we are waiting and walking in dark times to focus on the light, the light of Christ, love's pure light. Now, this passage of scripture, Paul shares about the pure light of the love of God. 
And he shares it in an interesting way. If you heard Dennis read it, he shares the truth by asking a lot of questions. But the questions are not to in any way discourage us, but to affirm us in our faith. And so this morning, I want us to look that Paul begins with questions, questions for us to ask in dark times. Sometimes when we're in dark times, we just need to have a talk with ourselves, right? And ask ourselves some questions. And these questions are questions that are going to give us answers of great light. Now notice Paul asked, what shall we say to these things? Do you notice that in verse 31? What shall we say to these things? What are these things? Well, these things are the things he's been talking about from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 8. He's been talking about the glory of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God's grace has overcome that through Christ, we as sinners can be reconciled freely to God and become his children, heirs of God, and join heirs with Jesus. That's these things. What he is saying is, look at verse 30, 31. He says, God is for us. God is for us. God is not neutral toward his people. God is for us. Great reformer of the 15th, 16th century, Martin Luther said this. He who sees God as angry does not see him rightly. He who sees God as angry does not see him rightly. Does that mean that God is never angry? Yes, God is angry with sin. He's angry with unrighteousness. But God has been reconciled through his son and his arms are open. His anger is no barrier to people who will come to him by Jesus Christ. God is for us. The Bible says God is for us. And then Paul's question to that is, if God is for us, what shall we say to that fact? The idea is, are we really going to let that settle in? If God is for us, are we really going to let that fact settle into our hearts and sink into our hearts? And so in order to settle that and sink it into our hearts, he asked several questions. Now, they're rhetorical questions. They're not questions wanting an answer, but questions for us to answer ourselves because the answer is so clear. <laughs> I remember uh, being here those first few years. There was a dear lady. She's now with the Lord. I used to speak over there in that little round building, and I'd ask some rhetorical questions, and she would answer. <laughs> And one time I was speaking and I was asking questions and she kept answering from like the second row. And finally I said, please just allow me to express this. And she looked at the people and she said, well, you ask. <laughs> These are rhetorical questions. Notice the questions. Questions about the power of God's love. These are questions about God's love, but they're rhetorical. They are so clear in the answer. 
Look at the question about the power of God's love. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is this God described in the Bible and he's for us, who can be against us? I remember growing up in Indiana and our, our uh, home was in a kind of a factory area of town and it was old and a little run down and there was some rough streets there and there were some uh, rough uh, dudes on those streets. And I remember when I was a little boy, I knew who they were and I knew where they lived. And so when I was walking some of those streets, I, I was uh, very, very aware. But sometimes, it is interesting, my dad would be walking with me. Wasn't amazing how my attitude changed. Oh, my shoulders are back. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Like I, you know, I'm walking like I'm the Duke of Paducah or something. Just, you know, it's my street. Why? Dad's with me. I'm not afraid of these guys when dad is with me. Friends, I want to tell you, as Christians, no one is bigger than our dad. No one is bigger than our heavenly father. And he is always walking with us said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that he's always for us? Well, there's another question Paul asked. It's another rhetorical question. Look at verse 32. He asked a question about the proof of God's love. How do we know that God is for us? Verse 32, here's what he says. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That, my friends, is the unshakable proof of God's love. He did not spare Christ. He did not spare Jesus. If God were going to spare anything, he would have spared his son. But God so loved the world that he gave up, he delivered up his one and only son. How do we know that God loves us? How do we know that he loves us powerly, powerfully and unconditionally. How do we know that? We don't know that by looking at circumstances. You don't know that God loves you by looking at the events in your life. You don't know that God loves you because you feel him all the time. You know that God loves you because he did not hold back Jesus. And Jesus Christ going to that cross is God's. I love you. This much. He spared not his son. Well, Paul anticipates the next question. God is for us who can stand against us. He didn't spare his own son, but delivered us up, him up for us all. He's not holding back anything from us. But here's the next question. Will he ever change his mind? 
Will God ever change his mind? And again, Paul answers that question with a question. A question about the permanence of God's love. That his love is a permanent love. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Now, notice, this is so amazing. That in order to show us how God loves us forever and will never cease loving us, the Apostle Paul, so to speak, as he's, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he takes us into a courtroom scene. Did you notice that? He's using the analogy of a court of law. God is the judge. We are the defendant. Someone is accusing us. He's not named. She's not named. But we know that Satan is always accusing us, right? But there's an attorney who represents us. And that attorney is Jesus. Listen to Paul's description here of the absolute assurance of God's love. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? You hear the question? Who shall bring a charge against those whom God has chosen in Christ? It is God who justifies. Now do you see it? He's saying God is on the bench. There is one supreme court. There is no higher court than this. This court is not in Washington, D.C. This is the court of heaven. And there's one judge sitting there, God Almighty. And this one judge is a judge who makes a verdict. And there is no appeal behind him, beyond him. He is the highest court of all. The judge of the universe. And this judge has pronounced a verdict. What is, he, what is his verdict? He said he has justified us. That means a verdict. It means not guilty. The great doctrine of justification is this. That God has declared not guilty those people who are believing in Jesus Christ. They have been declared by the judge of the universe not guilty. They can never come into jeopardy again. They have had their decision rendered by God. Not guilty. Now how can God say that? How can God look down at Sam Paulson and say he's not guilty? Not of the things I've just done in the decades past, but my own sinful heart this very day. How can God look down at me or look down at you and say not guilty? God is the judge. God has to punish sin. If he's righteous, he must punish sin. How can God declare someone who has broken his law justified, not guilty? He can do that because of his son, our attorney, 
our attorney did a great job representing us. He died. Do you see this? Christ died. Why did he die? He did not die because of Roman injustice. He did not die because of religious fanaticism. Jesus died as a substitute. He said, no one can take my life from me. He said, I yielded up of myself. Jesus took the place of sinners. And God punished sin in his son, Jesus, who said, I will take his place, her place. God did not just look down and say, hey, let's just forget about it. God can forget about it. Sin must be punished. Justice must be done. And that's what happened on the cross. God brought justice, but the justice did not fall on us, the guilty. It fell on the guiltless one, Jesus, our representative, who took the full wrath of God. Why are you not guilty if you're a Christian? Why am I justified? Not because of what I've done, but because Jesus has made a perfect sacrifice. In my place. And God says. He's not guilty. And to prove that. He's satisfied with Jesus. What did he do? He raised him from the dead. You know what the resurrection of Jesus is? The resurrection of Jesus is God's. Symbol of satisfaction. He was satisfied with what Jesus did for us and he showed that he accepted his sacrifice by raising him from the dead. And now, our attorney, remember the image here, our attorney stepped over in front of us and took the punishment of justice and the judge accepted what he did and now our attorney is interceding for us still at the Supreme Court in heaven. It says he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And you know something that I'll make you, I hope, praise the Lord. I hadn't really thought of it until this week. You know who my attorney is? He's the judge's son. (laughs) Now that helps out. He's the judge's son. And the judge's son is standing next to the judge and saying to his father, this is one of mine. See? See? See the nail prints? I have taken her place. I have taken his place. He's there, a living intercessor. Wow. Now, friends, when the prosecuting attorney comes, Satan, and he reminds you of how bad you are, don't argue with him because you're worse than he knows. When he reminds you that you are a complete goof up, when he reminds you of all the things you have thought, said, done, all the things you should have left undone, and you know that he's right, all of this is true, rather than condemning yourself, 
point him to Jesus and say, you can take that up with my attorney. Because my attorney took my place. And my attorney is the judge's son. Take it up with him. Friends, that's how we do spiritual warfare. We stand in the truth. The truth of the gospel. The truth of who Christ is. And who we are in him. There couldn't possibly be greater security than that, could there? Well, then Paul asked another question about the permanence of God's love. Is this going to last? Is this going to last through all the situations? Because now we can start thinking, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? And so Paul says, okay, let's talk about those things. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Think of some of the possibilities that as a Christian you might experience. Tribulation, what does that mean? Pressure. Tribulation means pressure. Sometimes life is a pressure cooker, isn't it? I chuckled this week as I read about a Bumper sticker, and I have certainly felt like that at times myself. The bumper sticker says, since I gave up hope, I feel much better. (laughs) Have you ever been like that? But for every pressure in life, listen, for every pressure in life is the presence of Jesus. He is Christ for every crisis. Christ is is in there for your crisis. Shall distress, what's distress? Distress means a narrow place where you're being, feeling like you're being hemmed in by circumstances. It feels like the walls are closing in. Well, our Jesus knows what that feels like. When things were closing in on him in Gethsemane, Gethsemane means an olive press. And Jesus was in that garden being pressed and crushed as he thought about the coming day of sacrifice the next day. But he prayed for us there. And when we are in the press, there's someone standing who's been there too, and he's praying for us. What about persecution? What is persecution? Persecution is suffering for the cause of Christ. Persecution's not just when you lose your job, unless you lost it for Christ. Persecution is not just when your neighbor doesn't like you, it's if he doesn't like you because of your testimony of Christ, not because you won't keep the dog out of his yard. That's not persecution. Persecution is enduring hardship for the cause of Christ. And the Lord has never played games with us. Did the Lord ever tell us we would not go through persecution? No, just the opposite. The Bible says everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, right? 
But the Lord's promise is that when we go through the furnace of persecution, there'll be someone in the fire with us. Just like those Hebrew young people in the book of Daniel. Remember them? He said, I see another one in there. And he's like the son of God. The Lord said, when you go through the fire, I will be with you. The fire, the persecution cannot take you away from Lord. Sometimes what happens in persecution, when Christians are persecuted for their faith, what can happen? Famine, do you see that? Hunger. But poverty can never make a Christian poor. One thing a true Christian can never be is really poor, not when you have Christ, the riches of Christ, and glory waiting on you. Can nakedness, sometimes in persecution, ill-clothed, barely clothed, but even when we are shabby in our clothing, we're dressed in the righteousness of Christ, right? Can peril, what does peril mean? It it means to be exposed to danger from treachery. People who are in peril because enemies are making plans against them. And the plans of the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his followers... The plans of the enemy against the followers of Christ are awful, but they are not anything compared to the awesome promises of God. The awesome power of God. God says, I have a plan for you that cannot be overcome. And then it can even come and persecution, that there's famine, there's nakedness, there's peril. And yes, the sword can come and it does come. And the sword has always been a part of the Christian faith. Never has the church, true followers of Jesus ever known on this earth at any time, nor will they ever know at any time when there are not countless Christians going under the sword For their faith. It's like this. Verse 36. For your sake. For your sake. We're being killed. All the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Does that verse seem up to date? What did the first responders say about that room in San Bernardino they were slaughtered slaughtered martyrdom is the experience and will be the experience of many Christians lambs to the slaughter but let me tell you one thing that's a sword can never do It can never cut a sheep of the Lord Jesus away from him, the shepherd. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And there is where the boldness comes from. 
Boldness like the man John of Antioch. He was a pastor in the fourth century in the city of Antioch. He went on to become the leader of the Christians in all of Asia Minor. And for his great and wonderful preaching, they gave him a nickname. His name was Chrysostom. Chrysostom in Greek means the golden mouthed. He could preach so eloquently, they called him the golden mouth. Well, John Chrysostom, for his fiery preaching, was brought before the emperor of Rome at that time in Constantinople. And the emperor threatened him with banishment if he remained a Christian. And here's what Chrysostom said. He said, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. Emperor said, but I will slay you. No, you cannot. For my life is hid with Christ in God. I will take away your treasures. No, you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there too. I will drive you away from man and you shall have no friends left. No, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. Now that is golden. That's gold and bold. And it also happens to be true. True. Those are great questions in dark times. Wonderful answers. But what I want you to notice here is that Paul doesn't end with questions. He ends with triumphant declarations. And just notice these declarations that he makes. While we await Advent, we're awaiting the coming of our Lord. While we await Advent of Christ in a dark world, here are some declarations for us to make. In dark times. They're found in verses 37 to 39. And in this season of Christian Christmas decorations, I would encourage you to make these Christmas declarations. Make a declaration about your identity in Christ. Verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What's our identity? Our identity is not what we have or what we do. Our identity is who we are because of whose we are. We are more than conquerors. And Paul makes up a word here. He couldn't find a word that was big enough, so he just made it up. I love it when he does that. He just made up a word. The, the word for victory or conqueror is Nike. We get our uh, tennis shoe brand and clothing brand, Nike, from that. It means victory or conquering. And Paul used the word huper Nike, which means huper above and beyond or super conqueror. Paul says, we are super conquerors through him that loved us. Now notice that. Did you, did you notice this? Look at the verse before. Sheep for the slaughter. 
super conquerors. Sheep for the slaughter, super conquerors. We are conquerors through our shepherd. We are conquering sheep. <laughs> I would like that to have that for a mascot of your team. Here we go, the conquering sheep. <laughs> we are a bad team, we want you to know. You know <laughs> we just love that. The conquering sheep. Well, that's who we are because our shepherd has conquered. Declare that. Declare that. Next time the old lion of Satan comes against you, you tell him you better back off. I'm a conquering sheep. You do it in the name of your shepherd. Notice our security. Our security in Christ. I am sure that these things cannot separate from me from the love of Christ. I am sure, and just name them, death cannot do it. Why? Because death's been defeated by Jesus. Death just buzzes around like a bee that has no more stinger because the stinger was put in Christ. He conquered death by dying and he triumphed over death by rising. And death has no sting, no victory for a Christian. Death is just our footman to take us to Jesus. Life cannot do it. There are many trials in life, but no one can take our life because our life is in Christ. We've been born again by the Spirit of God and that life cannot be taken from us because to be absent from this body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Angels, principalities, powers. Who is that? Demonic forces. Demonic forces cannot take us from Christ. Listen, the demons know our master and they tremble at his presence. People are in spiritual warfare this week. I spent several hours in praying with different people and going to the word of God, people who are in spiritual warfare and you know what? I didn't teach them some kind of abracadabra prayer. I didn't teach them the name it, claim it. I didn't teach them to try to work up their, their can-do spirit. I taught them and tried to help them to go to the word of God and resist the devil in the name of Christ and to say what he says. Let God be true and everyone else a liar. Spiritual warfare, friends, is not a power encounter. It's not you being stronger than the devil. Spiritual, welfare, spiritual warfare is a truth encounter. His weapon is a lie. Jesus said he's a liar and the father of it. So know what to give him? The truth. 
the truth of the word of God. Things present, things to come. Time changes many things. (laughs) Time changes us, doesn't it? I saw a picture of me on the first day I was here as pastor. I had a reception for me and Susan. She hasn't changed much, but oh my word. (laughs) Time never changes. His love. Height nor depth. What's that mean? Those are astrological terms. Heights meant the height of a star or a planet, the highest point in the horizon. Depth meant the lowest point in the horizon. It's astrological term. People for the ages have thought their lives are guided by the place of the planets and the stars. Even to this very day, do you know what the most read document in America is every day? The horoscope. Friends, I want to tell you, there is a star that guides your life, and he is the bright and morning star. Nor anything else in all creation. I just love the way Paul does. And if I miss something, because you know what? There can only be two divisions. There's the creator and everything else is created. Think about it. Everything else in all of the universe and beyond is created except God. And God's love is so endless like himself that everything else is under him and nothing under him can take his love from you. Now friends, all these declarations are true. They're true because of Jesus. I did not earn one of these things that I've mentioned. You've not earned one of these things They were all provided in Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures are in Christ. So my friend, listen to me this morning. I beg you to listen. For some of you here this morning... Not one of these priceless things I've just talked about is yours. They're true, but they're not yours because you're not in Christ. These things are in Christ. And when you have Christ, you have all these wonderful treasures. Do you have Christ? Where is your faith? Don't place your faith in a church or a religious event. Don't place your faith in a ritual from the past. Friend, listen, don't even put your faith in a prayer that you prayed. Because not one human being has ever prayed a perfect prayer. 
put your hope in Jesus Christ. Cling to Christ. Come to Christ. His arms are open wide. He came to his own creation, the Bible says, and his own people did not receive him. But to anyone who received him, to them he gives the right to be called the child of God. Receive Christ today. Receive him. Your sins are not too great. Your unbelief is not an obstacle too great. You don't have to have perfect faith. Cry out to Christ. Come to Christ. And he will receive you. And in him, all these things will be yours. Father, I thank you that Jesus did pay it all and all to him we owe. Lord, I pray for that person right now who is struggling. Should I believe? Should I surrender? Oh Lord, grant the victory. Grant the victory as you bring them to Jesus to see that Jesus is the treasure of all treasures and in him is all life. Lord, I pray this morning here in this room by way of the internet, by way of the radio, may people find in Jesus their all in all, I pray.